listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Well, I hope that uh, you are doing well. I know it's a busy time for so many, and so many summer season is hitting and people are beginning to travel and do all that kind of stuff. Um, but we have an awesome summer plan here at Vintage when you're in town. If you, if you miss uh, able to be in worship with us, we know that like you're going to be traveling, we're going to be traveling, all these things are going to be happening. Download the Vintage app. That's a great way. It's the best tool for you to stay up to date with all the things that are happening around our church. If you miss a Sunday, you can go and you can listen to whatever we taught that weekend and that kind of thing. And so just make sure that's a great tool for you to stay connected as we move throughout the summer. Um, this time of year, it, it's just kind of n- nostalgic for me. Like, a, lo- a lot of the most significant events in my life have happened in May and June. Anybody else kind of feel like, like, like the most significant events in my life are compressed to this little small window? I mean, like, everything that, that, that kind of is really significant in my life happens from, like, the end of May to the end of June. Um, my birthday is in at the end of May. My kid's birthday is in the first week of June. My wife's birthday is in May. Uh, uh, we, all these things, and, and like right now, it's, it's even more so because there's some significant things that are kind of happening in my, in my life right now. And I don't know if I'm just getting old or what it is, but like the more we kind of, I, I go through these seasons when they come, I start to just reflect on my life. Um, it's, it's weird. I don't know. Like, like last Monday, I, I turned the big 4-0. I'm 40, and that's just, it doesn't bother me. Doesn't, uh, you know, you can, you can, there's some of you in the room, you're thinking, man, that's old. There's some of you, like, only to be 40 again, you know? Uh, and, but, like, so I, I, I just turned 40 last Monday, and then tomorrow, my kids turn 10. And then in, in about two weeks, two weeks from today, actually, Ashley and I will celebrate 18 years of marriage. Um... <laughs> And, and, at the, and then a week after that, it'll be 11 years ago that we moved up here to start this whole journey that is Vintage Church. And so, like, it's just a lot going on. And, and so I've just been reflecting on that. And I'm a journaler. I journal. Anybody else journal in here? If you're not a journaler, man, I encourage you. Like, uh, that's a cool tool, to, a cool habit to get into. Just, um, and so I pull out my old journals sometimes from, from, from past years, and I read through things I was going through and prayers I was praying back in those days. And a lot of times, you know, especially I, you know, I read through journals I was praying through when, when, when Ashley was pregnant with our kids and, and prayers that I was praying for them. And it's just, it's just a weird kind of thing. But then as I, as I kind of approach 40, like, I'm also a goal setter. Anybody else? Like, like um, again, I tell you, like, if you aim at nothing, you always hit it. We talked about that when we started this year. And so, like, I set goals for my life. And, and so I don't, as I was approaching this season, turning 40 and all these things happening in my life, I started to just sit down. All right, you know, uh, more than likely, my life is halfway over. <laughs> like, God... Past 80, I'm good. Like, 80 will be fine with me, right? You know what I mean? Because, uh, I mean, especially unless, unless I'm healthy. Like, I don't want to be like, like somebody having to change my diapers at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want that. And so I've just been like, God, what? what? So I start making plans because I'm also a planner because I'm a control freak. And control freaks, like, we plan. And, like, we don't do well when we don't get to plan. 
Like, I will choke you out if you try to take control. Like, I want to control my life, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a planner. And so I started just like, all right, sitting down in my journal, all right, God, now that I'm 40, and this is the kind of mindset I have, by the time, like, I'm 50, like, in the next 10 years, what do I want to accomplish? And the last 10, my, from 30 to 40 was, be honest with you, it was the greatest season of my life. I mean, so many cool things happened in that decade. You know, the, right, a week after I turned 30, my kids were born. A couple months later, we launched the church. Like, it's just been a beautiful 10 years. It just really has. And I'm so grateful for all that God has been doing and the fact that I get, I get the, the privilege of pastoring this church, which I, which I think is just the most amazing church on the planet. I love it. I love doing what I do. And so I'm like, all right, God, like, I started thinking about plans, and God just kind of messed me up. Because the reality is, like, if we're really honest, how many of the plans that we've made have really turned out the way we planned it? Come on. I mean, maybe you've achieved some of the things that you hoped to achieve, but the path that got you there most likely wasn't the one you thought it would be. Amen? Like, like you had this idea of how you were going to achieve these goals, and maybe you got to these goals, but you thought it was going to be like this, and it was like this. And how you got there was so different. And so I started saying, I started praying, all right, God, what, 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 do, my, what do my plans need to be over the next 10 years? And I really feel like I heard the Lord speak to me. And he said this, Matt, forget your plans and focus on your priorities. Forget your plans and focus on your priorities. Because the best, most strategic plans can never overcompensate for improper priorities. I'm preaching good, y'all just not with me yet, okay? Like, like, forget your plans and focus on your priorities. Like, if you really want to, when you sit here again 10 years from now and you're journaling at 50, if you really want to be able to write something significant down on paper, if you really want to be able to reflect and look back and feel like you've accomplished something, it won't be because you made really good plans. It will be because you focused on your priorities. And how different, and so I wrote this, I wrote this down. Set priorities before making plans. Set priorities before making plans. That so often we, we just get caught up in these plans, but the reality is if you want to live a significant life, like if you want your life to really count, like if you want your life to really matter, if you want to look back a year from now or six months from now or a decade from now, whenever it is, like it, it, your life will be full and you will have really done something, not because you had these awesome strategic plans, but because you had the right priorities. Because priorities are what make the difference? Like you can have the greatest plans in the world, but if, the, if those plans aren't shaped by the things that are supposed to be priority in your life, and priorities get lost when we don't really appreciate time. But the reality is, the, I've, I've just been thinking about this. Y'all with me? Life is about purpose. 
But priorities set the parameters that allow you to walk on the path of purpose. Does that make sense? Because we get off, purpose gets swallowed up when priorities get lost. And so often in our lives, we get, we, I know we are busy as a people, but what hijacks your purpose is when you don't know your priorities. When you haven't determined for yourself, these are going to be the things that matter. Look, can I tell you something? Not everything in life has equal importance. I hear people all the time talking about balance. And, and, and I know what we get by that, but almost, it's almost like balance means everything has the same weight. So I need to find the right balance of job and home and work and all this other kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Your job ain't as important as your kids. Your hobby is not as important as your spiritual health. I ain't got time to read the Bible, but I got plenty of time. Never mind, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) So we're going to set priorities. And see, this church has done some really cool things. Not because of our strategic plans, but because we have a group of people that were united and committed to the same set of priorities. And what has kept our church to continue to move forward is because we've never lost sight of the things that were at the core of who we are. As I look back over the 11-year evolution of this journey, a lot has changed. I mean, we started out in Adams Farm Swim Club in Greensboro. That's weird, ain't it? And then Southern Guilford Middle School, and Randleman High School, and Randleman Middle School, and now, like, like there has been a lot of change over the years. But I can honestly stand here and tell you the reason why we have seen God do so many things in the midst of this church is because we've never lost sight of our priorities. Because our plans have changed. And our plan, like I was telling somebody this morning, if you'd have told me last year at this time, as we were setting up and tearing down at the middle school, that hey, a year from now, you won't have to do this anymore. I'd have kissed you on the mouth, number one. <laughs> and number two, I would have thought, that's, there's just no way that's not possible. Because in that moment, our, our plans were still to try to build a building on land. We, the, the plans change. But here's the thing, when you know your priorities and when you're committed to your priorities and when your priorities are solidified in your heart, when the plans change, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't shift you from center. When at the core, you know who you are. And so throughout your life, throughout your family, all all the things you're going to expect, things are going to change. Plans are going to change. But when you are committed to your priorities you can really accomplish something of significance with your life. And especially with the church. And the problem with the church is so often we think more about strategic plans than we do our our, our core priorities. And so I thought just in all this that let's take some time and revisit them. Because priorities only stay priorities if you continue to remember what they are. If you don't, you just can't set, it's not a set it and forget it kind of situation. And that's true in your home, that's true in the church, that's true in any organization. Like, like if you've got priorities and you never talk about them, then they're not priorities. I mean, see, you, 
Your mouth can say priorities, but your actions show priorities. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to revisit. There are some things that have been at the core of who we are as a church, priorities for us as a church. And if we still happen to exist 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 30 years from now, no matter how the plans have changed, no matter how on the surface things around this church may look, these will still be priority for us. And these are the things that we're going to protect because a church fails to accomplish its mission when it drifts from its priorities. And so these are the things that we're going to protect. These are the things that we're going to fight for as a church. But the things I'm going to talk about, and the reason why we need to talk about them in here is because if, if we own them as an organization, as a church, as, a, as the body of believers, but you don't own them as an individual, then they're not priorities for our church. If they're only priorities that let your pastors own, then we never really accomplish anything significant. But if there's something that you will own, then we can really change the world. And we started this church because we, we believe that the church is the only thing that has the potential to change the world. It's not a president. It's not politics. It is the church of Jesus that has the power to actually change the world. All right, I've spent 15 minutes on my intro, so we need to get started. So priority one is intentional relationships. Priority one for us as a church is intentional relationships. Relationships are the foremost priority of what Jesus started. Intentional relationships are the primary way Jesus changed the world. I'm going to show you. Okay, you with me? Say amen. See, intentional relationship, like it is intentional relationships and through intentional relationship, this, this whole thing called Christianity began. And if it's going to continue, if what Jesus started is going to continue to be something significant in our world, it will be because of and through intentional relationships. And this is something that the church loses sometimes. That there are a lot of things that are important in, in what we do, and that we're going to talk about them as we go throughout this series. But relationships, if we don't get relationships right, if we, if we don't focus on relationships the way that we are called to, we'll never be the movement of God that Jesus intended for us to be. Because if you stare into the Gospels and you watch how Jesus began this movement that he created, really Jesus started this thing one intentional relationship at a time. Let me show you. Go into the Bible. Go to Mark chapter 1. Pick up with verse 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of, of, of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their nets. They're, they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. Do you see, this, this is the beginning of it all. Jesus is just beginning to start this thing He's just beginning to start Christianity. He's just beginning to start this movement that he was put on this planet to do. And do you notice how he begins? He begins with an invitation to follow. He goes up to him and says, Hey, I'm the Son of God. Bow down. 
Do you notice what he, he doesn't even, he, he extends an invitation to follow, not even a command to believe. He doesn't say, hey, I'm Jesus, the only begotten son, fully divine, fully human. Come, believeth in me, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus didn't speak King James English either. You know what he says? He literally is saying, like he, he's not even inviting them to follow a set of rules or a set of principles. He's not saying, come, come follow all these things. He's, he's saying, hey, literally, guys, come and hang out with me. C- come follow me. Like I'm about to go do some really cool things. And what I want you to do is just come along with me as I go. And as I go, you're going to be able to see me teach, and you're going to be able to see me preach, and you're going to be able to see me do miracles, and you're going to see, you're going to get a, a bird's eye view, or no, a, a, a really close, intimate view of what I'm about and what I want to do. Come and just, just watch. And it would be later that he would finally ask them toward the end of his ministry, who do people say that I am? Some say this, some say this, and he says, but what about you? What do you say? Now that you've walked with me and you've heard me, and over the last three years, we've lived in relationship with one another. What is this relationship that we've been in? How has it impacted your life? How is it? Do you see? He's inviting them into an intentional relationship. Come on. Like this is how this movement started. The other day, I'm about to offend somebody, okay? All right. The other day, I was, I, I was in, in a public place, and I walked in, and I walked into the stall to use the bathroom. And laying on the back of the toilet was what I thought was a folded up dollar bill. I'm thinking, score. (laughs) It it was dirty. It's a dollar. (laughs) And I pick it up, and I'm like, wait. And I open it up, and it actually wasn't a dollar. It was this little track that told me how to find Jesus. Right there on a piece of paper this big. There it was, all of it. And I just thought, now, y'all could stay with me. I'm not saying those things don't have value. I'm not saying those things haven't at times led people to Jesus. But I, I think that's a really nice, easy, simple, less dirty, less messy way that we're more comfortable with than Jesus really intended for us to be the ones to spread his message. Come out of you, Jesus. Jesus goes to the boat. Hey, guys, boat, stop fishing. Here, read this. And that's the way we have approached this thing for years, haven't it? You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to talk to you, but I'll put a flyer under the, the, the windshield wiper, which, which tick people off, just so you know that. Like Jesus, like the way he started this thing, was he, and he didn't go and say, hey, guess what? You're going to hell. Let me tell you how not to go there. <laughs> now he walks up to these guys, right in the midst of where they are, and says, why don't you come follow me? Come follow me. And they did. And for the next three years, they got to just intimately watch everything that Jesus said and did. And what they saw so moved them that most of them were willing to die for it. Because Jesus poured himself out into them before he gave up his life on the cross. 
And I think Jesus was trying to show us something about how this thing was going to continue on if it was really going to be what he wanted it to be. That it was going to be, it was going to take relationships. And relationships are messy and difficult and challenging. And yeah, are there a lot of ways that people can come to Jesus? Maybe. There is. God's, God, God can bring people to himself any way he wants to. But I think in Jesus, he showed us like his ideal method is us to go where people are and start to tell them about who Jesus is and invite them to walk into our lives and them to see Jesus in us as we go throughout our lives in such a way that what they see in us and what they see through us is a Jesus that they fall in love with as well and it draws them into him too. And I think, just, just look what, keep reading. Go to John chapter 1. Pick up with verse 40. Now Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. Do you see how they come to Jesus? He says the first thing he did is he went to the people that he already knew, already had relationship with, and he invited them to come. He didn't say, hey, I found this guy. Here's a piece of paper you can read about him. He goes into his world, and he goes into the relationships that already exist. Until, like when, when we find Jesus the first thing that we are supposed to be moved to do is to tell the people who are in our lives who haven't found Jesus about who Jesus is. Let me give you another example. Go to Mark. I'm going to go to John chapter 1, verse 45. After Philip found Jesus, then Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Again, Philip goes in, not even to, just to some random stranger. He goes up to the people that are already in his circle of influence and says, hey, we've found something here. And it's, it's something we believe is pretty significant. And because I love you, I don't want you to miss out on the significance that I've found. Come and see for yourself. Come check it out. Come, come see who Jesus is. Come, come learn about all that he's doing. Look at, I'm going to give you another example. Mark chapter 5. A demon-possessed man just finds Jesus. He's just been delivered. He's just found hope in Jesus Christ. And I want you to look how he responds and how Jesus interacts with him after that salvation experience. Look at Mark 5, 18. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Like, he begged to go with him. But look what Jesus said. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus says, No, what you need to do now that you've found me is you need to go, not again, not to a bunch of strength. You, you go back to your hometown. Go back to the people that you know. Go back to the people that you already have relationship with because it is in relationship that we are truly able to tell people about the beauty of Jesus. That's the way God has designed it. And that's the way this whole intentional relationships 
have the greatest potential to change the world. And if you look throughout the New Testament, as Jesus did what he was doing, and as this movement of Christianity began to grow, what you see is, how did it happen? Yeah, Jesus stood out and he preached to the multitudes, and he, and, he, and he taught things, and many people came to him. But if you watch how Jesus did ministry, it was one relationship at a time, wasn't it? And when the people found him and people came to experience him and people had an encounter with Jesus, notice most often the first thing he told them is his, he didn't say, hey, go into a corner, lock yourself up, and study the Bible for the next five years, and then we'll see what we can do with you. We've made it so complicated. I think we've built this fear into people. I can't share my faith. I don't know enough yet. The devil uses that to keep us from being as effective as we could and should be. You'll never know all there is to know about God, but you're an expert in everything he's done for you. And that's the testimony that has the beauty to change the lives of the other people around you. One relationship at a time. But it happens in the context of relationships. And if we're honest, that makes it a little more complicated, doesn't it? Because relationships are hard. I mean, can you imagine this man going back from Decapolis? Hey, I found Jesus. You the crazy man. Two days ago, you was demon-possessed. We're not too sure about, can you imagine, like, like, no, Jesus, like, I can't go back there. Take me, take me to where strangers are who don't know me. And let me tell the strangers about how awesome you are. Because when I go back there, that dude knows I stole from his mama. Like, I did some really bad things in that home, in that hometown. And it's interesting. But maybe the beauty about going to where you're known is you can show how much you've changed. When Jesus really does something in your life. And see, intentional relationships, it's not just about, it, it, it's about everything. It's about what you say, what you do. Like, like intentional relationships, when you're, when you're trying to be this beacon of light for the cause of Christ where you are, like it's about all of who you are. Making a difference in the lives of people. And the reality is God wants to use you to build his kingdom. The kingdom of God is built on the influence of his followers. The kingdom of God is built on the influence of his followers. Like the way this thing is built, the way God designed it is, God wants to use you and me to let people know who Jesus really is. And for you to be intentional with your relationships with others, you have to be consistent in your relationship with him so that you have something significant to show people So, so have, have I clearly made my case about the importance and the value of intentional relationships? Amen? Like we see this. Like, like if we're going to be the movement that God called us to be, if we're going to, and, and you, could, you could walk this all the way into the New Testament. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You read through the book of Acts as the church is being born. How is it born? It's one, it's through one personal, I mean, the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, uh, Peter and Cornelius. Uh, all, all these stories all throughout the New Testament is people, yeah, there are these moments where people preach to the crowds, but you know what? That, and, and that has the power to change people. I read a statistic today, or, or this past week, that if somebody comes to Jesus and doesn't build six to eight significant faith relationships within the first six months, 
that like 90% of those people drift away. Because God has designed this thing to exist in its healthiest form, connected to other people. That people come to faith most often in relationship with other people. People stay in the faith through discipleship of other people. And so that means, you know what? All of us have to own this. Because if only a handful of people see the priority of intentional relationships, then our ability to impact is only a handful of people. And the larger our church gets, the smaller it has to become. And the more we have to all own the people that are sitting around us. And I've always said, it's, it's hard for me to even exist in this place because I would love to know every one of y'all. I would love to disciple every one of y'all. But I can't do that. Jesus showed me I can't do that. Have you ever noticed Jesus' ministry model of how, and that's another thing you need to know. I'm all over the place, but I don't care. Um, have you ever noticed that like, this type of level of relationship that I'm talking about, this intense level of intentional relationship, you can't have it with 50 or 60 people. Jesus was smart enough to only have it with 12. Oh, I've been going to that church for s six months, and pastor ain't been to my house yet. I ain't coming to your house, probably. <laughs> Unless you invite me. And you're cooking something good. I like meat. If you're a vegetarian, you're weird. I gave you teeth. That, I'm, I'm sitting on those. What was I even talking about? I mean, the reality is I can't know all of the people. And you know what? Again, I go back to Jesus. And when I get worried about that, sometimes I, I think that... You know how many people probably say, I'm never going to another Jesus sermon again. I went two times and he didn't even shake my hand. And I don't, not, I don't, I can't be the only one that needs to know that. You need to know that. There are, you, there are only so many people that you can in, be intentional with. There are only so many people that you can invest in. And you can be kind and loving and faithful to everyone that you meet but there's a level of pouring yourself into other people that you need to know. You need to know your limitations. Am I, am I making sense? Am I? Jesus did. But if we're going to change the world, it's going to be because we all see every relationship that God allows us to have as a kingdom relationship, as an opportunity to invest in and tell people about Jesus and about the gospel and about the beauty of who he is. And so I want to challenge you to do three things. Number one, recognize the calling to engage. Recognize that you have the calling to engage the people around you with the gospel. If you follow Jesus, if you know Jesus, it is your calling to help other people know Jesus as well. This is not a calling reserved for preachers or missionaries. Like, you, know, you do realize if you're in the faith, you're a missionary. You are on mission for the cause of Christ. No matter what your job is, no matter what your pay is, no matter what your training is, if you know Jesus, then your job, your calling, your purpose in life is to help other people come to know him as well. And you have a mission field. And you have to recognize that calling to engage. Matthew chapter 28. 
It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And right there, we were given our purpose. It says, go. Basically, go do for others what I've been doing for you. I engaged you in relationship. You've got to go engage other people in relationship for the purpose of helping them understand everything I've shown you. And that's been the snowball of Christianity is Jesus poured into the disciples. The disciples poured into the early church. And, and you're here because somebody built a relationship with somebody that eventually trickled down to you coming to Jesus. Recognize the calling to engage and understand that you have a responsibility to engage everybody that God puts in front of you. Because see, the reality is, intentional relationships are about investing. And you will never invest where you don't see value. And the problem is, there's people in your life that you've dismissed as not valuable because they look a certain way or talk a certain way or have certain, some certain thing that builds into your prejudice, and you've dismissed them. Jesus warned us, Matthew 25, 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See, Jesus is saying he takes personally what we do with people relationally. And you have to recognize the calling to engage the people around you. You have people around you that God has ordained that, that you are the one. You are the voice for his sake in their lives. Like there's somebody in your world. It starts in your home. The, you may, you'll say, well, who am I supposed to inv invest in? The people closest to you. Parents. We love your kids. We want to invest in your kids. We want to pour in your kids. But we can't do it if you're not. Amen. Your mission field starts there. And I know that's messy. I know that's tricky. But you have to recognize the calling to engage. Second thing, develop the compassion to endure. You got to have compassion to endure. And let me explain what I mean by that. Like to endure these type of relationships, because relationships get hard, you have to have a deep level of compassion and love for people. Because if you don't, people will chew you up and spit you out. And if you don't learn how to genuinely, sincerely love people, to have compassion for people, then you will never be intentional with them the way that God needs you to be to build his kingdom. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have any, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all these virtues put on love, which binds all things together in perfect unity. See, if you lack compassion, you will always look at people as what you can get from them, not what you can add to them. 
If you lack compassion, you will always be looking at people as something that you can use and something, a a tool for your benefit. And if you're going to build in kind of intentional relationships that we're talking about that are going to make a difference in the kingdom, you have to have compassion for other people. You have to learn how to love other people in a genuine, powerful way. Philippians 2.5, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. What if you went into every late relationship with the same mindset as Jesus? You ever thought about that? What if, you, what if you saw your spouse with the mind of Christ? What if you saw your kids with the mindset of Christ? What if you saw that obnoxious, annoying coworker with the mindset of Christ? How would it change? See, when you combine calling and compassion you can really do something in your relationships with other people. But if one of those pieces is missing, you will never significantly impact anybody. And you, it's compassion and calling that are going to give you the encourage. Because, everybody look at me. Relationships have the greatest potential to change the world, but also have the greatest potential to create disappointment. Can I go ahead and tell you, if you do this, somewhere along the way, you're going to get hurt. You with me? Somewhere along the way, you're going you're to pour yourself into somebody, and you're going to do things for people, and you're going to bend over backwards, and you're going to be generous, and they're going to take it all for granted and walk away from you. Or they're going to take it all for granted, and they're going to disappoint you. And your tendency is going to say, I'll never allow that to happen to me again. And when you do that, you box in your compassion and you make it impossible to ever really relationally impact anybody. And the enemy begins to leverage that because, see, the enemy knows how important relationships are in this thing. And if he can get you to not trust people, to not care about people, or to devalue people, he can kill the movement that Jesus started because he'll kill your effectiveness. And so it's so easy for you, to, for you to get to that place when you've poured out yourself and people, if you're going to do this, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it won't be long before you get hurt. But can I just remind you, even Jesus couldn't save Judas. Do you remember this? Je- Jesus had the same relationship with Jesus, Judas that he had the other 12. Can we all probably agree with that? Like Jesus poured into those 12 and poured into those 12 and Judas got to be along for, for there's a few things that only Peter, James, and John got to see and I wonder if Judas like, well, he let Peter go. But you remember Mark chapter 14. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Can you imagine the bitterness? Even though Jesus knew it was going to happen. And how he does it, he walks up and kisses him and calls him Rabbi. And this one that Jesus had just spent three years pouring into and pouring into, he's the one that sells him out. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. And if you're not coming from a place of compassion and you don't understand the calling that God has for you, because sometimes only those two things will keep you moving forward in this whole thing. And, the thir- and that's why the third thing is important. So if you're going to do this, 
You need to recognize the calling to engage, build the compassion to endure, uh, develop the compassion to endure, and the third thing is develop the character to enlarge. Develop the character to enlarge. I read a quote that said, I hope your influence is never as wide as your character is deep. I hope your influence is never as wide as your character is deep. Like the, the wider your influence, the deeper your character must be. Like if you're really gonna intentionally build relationships with people that lead into Jesus, then the depth of your character must be there. Because to be intentional with our relationships means we're gonna really invest in people. To invest in people brings intimacy. Intimacy brings transparency and transparency exposes everything. And so often we're not able to intentionally have the relationships that God wants us is because we don't have the character to maintain them. Even ugly people look good from a distance. The closer people get to you, the more those things about you that you don't like are going to be exposed. And if you don't build that character your influence will take you places that your character won't keep you. And if you're really going to have long-lasting, intentional relationships that have the power to do something kingdom-minded in somebody's life, then you have to build the character to deal with it. 2 Corinthians 1.12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity, we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Intentional relationships is how Jesus began this whole thing. And if we're going to continue to build on it, then we have to make them a priority in our lives as well. And we'll only do that when we realize that we've been called to engage the people around us that we have the the compassion to endure the difficult messiness of relationships. And we have to have the character we need to enlarge our influence and really make a difference in this world. So I want to leave you with a question. Who is near to you that's far from God? Because that's who he wants you to pour into. Who is near to you that's far from God? That's where you start. You need to be more intentional with your relationships with the people in your home, in your office, in your neighborhood, in this church. We even try to give you intentional relationships. If, you if, you if, if you're sitting here like, I really don't know where to start, let me tell you a good place to start. Let me tell you where we need intentional relationships in our kids' ministry and our youth ministry. You want to talk about an awesome platform to build intentional relationships to change a life? Go talk to Sananda or Becky, some of our kids' staff and say, you know what, I want to build intentional relationships to shape the next generation. They're actually going to have an interest meeting here in a few weeks. Stop by the kids' check-in station and say, you know what, I want to use my life to intentionally impact another. You want to talk about a great platform, a great atmosphere? Maybe there's somebody on your row right now that you need to be more intentional with. You need to have more intentional conversations about spiritual things so that they know that you're pouring into them and that you care about their eternity. Intentional relationships have the greatest potential to change the world. Let's not waste another one. Stand with me, let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes closed, this is what I'm praying right now, that God's bringing to you the faces 
of the people that he wants you to influence, to be more intentional with. Who is near to you that's far from God? Who is near to you that you need to pour into, that you need to talk to about Jesus, that you need to have conversations with? When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation with your spouse? When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation with your kids? When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation with your coworker? When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation with somebody that God has already strategically put? Where you are on the map is where you are to be on mission. Would you just begin to pray, God, use me. Use me. Help me, Lord, to build the relationships. I know that's scary. I know it's messy, but help me to build the relationships that I need to lead people to know you. Help me to take advantage of every moment that I have, every conversation, every encounter. May it be seasoned with salt. May I be a light into every person I come in contact with. May I be more intentional than I ever have. May I see people the way you see people and add value to people the way you add value to people. God, use me. Use my life to make a difference for your glory. Father, I pray that that would be our desire this morning as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.